following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. He says, but now the righteousness of God has been revealed apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Christ Jesus for all who believe. There is no distinction, for all have sinned and are falling short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith. Um, And really we should, we probably should have read verse 20 because the the section, first part of chapter 3 ends this way. No one can ever be made right with God by keeping the law or the law's commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. So that was kind of the context and the backdrop. Uh, He says, look, the law is good, the law has value, but nobody can get saved, nobody can be good enough by keeping the law. But now, God has showed another way to be made right with him apart from the law. And uh, that truly is good good news. Uh, And it's not because the law is bad, but Paul spent a lot of time explaining that we're bad, the law's good, but we just can't keep it. That no human being has the capacity to, to keep perfectly the requirements of, of any law. And that's what he's been talking about the last three chapters. Whether it's the law of Moses or any other law, we don't have it in us because we're under sin, uh, meaning we're under its power. We are under the force and domination of sin in our life. And so none, none of us can do good. And so... Uh, but God, by his grace, has made a different way. Uh, and it's important to see here that he says literally that God has revealed another uh, revealed um, not a different way, but he has revealed the way that he saves. So what's new here is the, is the revelation, not the way. Right? As we look through the book of Romans, it's clear that God's way has always been the same. Uh, the law was never intended to be a means of obtaining salvation, that it always has come about through faith. But God has revealed the fulfillment of that plan in, in these times through Christ. Uh, so, so this is about salvation. And uh, many of you, if you, if you know the I mean, you know the Romans Road, this is one of the famous verses in the Romans Road, right? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Uh, oftentimes we use passages like this, and certainly Romans is a great book, to share the gospel with people who don't know Christ, right? who don't know about salvation, and it has great value for that. But as I shared uh, early on in, as we studied the book of Romans in chapter 1, uh, Paul's actually writing not just for the benefit of unbelievers, but he's writing these things for the benefit and strengthening of the church. And <clears throat> while we may think of these verses in terms of evangelizing the lost. Uh, Today, because I'm guessing the majority of you uh, know Christ, if you don't, uh, pay close attention, because these will be good words. But if you know Christ, 
if you've been saved, if you've applied these things to your life, they still have value for you. Right? In fact, maybe more so as a believer in Christ. Uh, because it really uh, talks about what it means to, to live and to walk as believers in Christ. And one of the reasons we know that is the, is the tenses of the verbs that Paul uses in this passage. Some of them are past tense. Okay? So he says, for example, all have sinned. But many of the verbs are actually in the present tense. He says, all have sin, but present tense, all are falling short of God's glory, right? So yeah, you sinned before you got saved, but guess what? Even as a new creature in Christ, how many of here are fully meeting up to the glory of God? <laughs> guess what? None of us, right? We are all still falling short. Present tense, right? So what Paul's talking about here is not simply for unsaved people. Okay? His message is for you and I. What he's talking about applies to us as followers of Christ. Uh, so what I want to do is, is uh, highlight uh, the salvation that Paul talks about with three key terms. And he really uses three kinds of imagery, three word pictures, to describe what God has done for us. Uh, they will be very familiar. Uh, it's not anything new. But I would like to look at how, as believers, as those who follow Christ, who have put our faith in Christ, how we can derail or sabotage these truths in our own life now. So let's look at these. First of all, uh, he says we are made right by faith. Right? Uh, verse uh, 21 and 22, But now the righteousness of God has been revealed apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, uh, that we are made right with God through faith in, in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Uh, there's some key words here we need to talk about. The first is the word righteous, the righteousness of God. And the word righteous, as Paul used it, has many meanings. In this uh, verse, it probably has the idea of God's saving activity. It's right and good for God to save us. And uh, throughout the Old Testament, throughout the Gospels, oftentimes the righteousness of God speaks of his saving activity. So God has revealed his saving activity, right, in Christ. He has made clear to us uh, his saving action through through Christ. Uh, and it's not a new revelation, as I said. It's not a new plan. And he emphasizes this by the fact that the, he says the law and the prophets pointed to it. Uh, all the Old Testament points to what Christ did, points to this way of salvation. And this is real important for Paul that he, <clears throat> he wants everybody to know he's not, he's not making up something new. Like the Old Testament was God's saving people one way, uh, but God decided that didn't work, so he came up with a new plan. He says, no, the law and the prophets point to this. And in fact, if you really want to understand the Old Testament, you need to see the Old Testament as pointing to Christ and pointing to God justifying people through faith. Right? Uh, and that, that's the light or the lens that we need to look through the Old Testament. Uh, so he says that, the, the, the whole Old Testament points to this, points to the gospel, points to God's salvation. And he describes it first in these words. He says, we have been made right with God. Some translations will say we have been justified, right? Or we have been made right. Uh, we have been declared righteous. Uh, well, all of those words are used in a legal context, okay? They're law terms. And... Uh, uh, it has the, it's a word that has to do with legal action. Uh, about, I don't know, five months ago, a while back, uh, I was in a car accident, 
was driving down the Hongdong Road, uh, and uh, the light at the night safari road turned red. Well, it turned yellow first. You know, you got lots of warning. Turns yellow. The little count. I love the little countdown timer. You can kind of gauge. Do I have enough time to beat it or not? It was clear I did not have enough time to, to, to get even to the intersection before the light turned red. So before I got to the light, the light turns red, and I stopped, right? Well, the guy behind me just plows right into the back of me. And we get out, and he was just mad at me. He was so mad, he goes, why did you stop? And he's all in tie, you know. Why did you stop, right? Uh, the light just turned red. You don't stop when it just turns red. You got 10 more seconds, right? <laughs> and he just couldn't believe. He said, I thought for sure you were going to go through. I said, well, it turned red. <laughs> you stopped, right? Well, so uh, the police guys show up, you know, and um, they said, what happened? I says, well, the light turned red, so I stopped, and he ran into me. Well, so, you know, we go down to the police station, and... Uh, and uh, the, the police decided that he was clearly fully 100% at fault, right? Uh, which was interesting. I, I wasn't sure, you know, how this would go down. Uh, <clears throat> but the police said, yeah, he, it's, it's all his fault. And uh, the poor guy had no insurance and had just this kind of poor junkie beat-up truck. It dinged my, my bumper a little bit, but just smashed the front of his truck. I really felt, I felt sorry for this poor guy, even though it was totally his fault. Uh, and um, so w- when it came all down to it, they decided that he, had, that, that he had to pay legal damages, right? That's a legal term, legal damages, that he was responsible to pay for the damages to my truck. Well, I felt so bad for the guy. I says, I says you know, it's not going to cost me. It, it hardly deemed my bumper. I says, I'm not going to worry about it. I said, I don't, I don't want to press charges or I don't, want, I don't want him to have to pay damages, right? And the police said, no, sorry, that's not an option. He must pay the damages, right? And the idea is that legally, he had to make things right, right? No matter what I felt about it, no matter how much I wanted to show mercy and kindness, legally, he said, they said, no, he can't. He must make things right. He must settle the full damages, right? Uh, so the insurance guys had to come in there to figure out how much it costs, and they calculated the damages, and he had to pay it, right? Uh, once he did that, and they wouldn't let him go, they would not let him leave the police station until he came up with the cash and handed me, actually handed my insurance guy, the cash, right? He had to settle and make things right. Well, that's a great picture of what, what, God, what, what Paul's describing here. He says, God has made us right. And the idea is that because of sin, we have damages, legal damages against God. And things are not right in the court of law before God. We owe something to God. We owe legal damages. We are liable because of our sin. And so the idea here is that Jesus comes, and through Christ and through faith, he sets our offenses right with God. He settles the damages that are due to God. Uh, and, and we are therefore justified. We are made right before God so that we are cleared, right? We no longer owe anything. That's real important to kind of sort this out. And maybe you've heard this expression, of, you know, justified means just as if I had never sinned. You ever heard that one? It's kind of a corny little thing. And it's kind of true, but actually it's not quite true, right? Because... 
the truth is that God could not just blankly dismiss the charges. Okay? Just like I wanted to do with the guy, and I wanted in mercy to say, well, it's no big deal, I'm not going to charge him. God technically can't do that. Right? The truth is we are guilty before God uh, because of sin and because of everything that Paul talks about in the first three chapters. We have sinned. We are guilty, and as we stand before a righteous God who must judge things rightly and fairly, the truth is we are guilty, and we did sin, and there are damages against God that must be paid and settled for our case to be made right. Well, Jesus does not negate our sin so much as he settles the damages against God. Now, there are other senses in which uh, atonement also wipes the record clean. But that's not the meaning of the word justification. Okay? That's not the meaning of the word made right. The meaning here is the idea that God has settled the damages against him. Uh, and in this case, God himself paid the price. Now, I suppose if I was really a, a, a nice guy, I would have given the guy the money to give me back, right? Actually, I did give him some, but I didn't give him all. Um, God paid it all, right? Uh, interesting illustration of this back one of the New York City's most famous mayor, mayors was Fiorello LaGuardia. We'll stick with LaGuardia because he's got a goofy first name. Uh, and LaGuardia was really famous as a mayor who brought tons of reforms to the corruption that was going on in New York City at that time. And one of the things that he loved to do is he would show up in a court, small claims court, just randomly middle of the night, 7 o'clock at night, he'd just show up. He'd kick the judge out, and he would sit in the bench and hear, uh, hear court cases, right? He was a very colorful personality. <clears throat> and one night, uh, the case that came up involved a woman who had stolen bread for her starving family. Uh, had no job, had no money, was uh, desperately in need of food, and she had stole a loaf of bread and was being charged for theft for stealing this loaf of bread. And so LaGuardia uh, does not let her go, but levied a fine of $10 against her, okay? which is actually the right thing to do, because she was guilty of a crime, and uh, there was a penalty that had to be paid right, to settle it, to pay the damages. Right? But then here's what he did. He said to everybody in the court, okay, I, I find this woman $10, but I find the rest of you 50 cents for living in a city where people have to steal because they're starving to death. Right? He passed around the hat. He made everybody cough up 50 cents. Right? And uh, he got like $60. Gives the lady the $60. Takes the 10. Gives her the remaining balance. And she walks out of the court with like $47.50. Right? Great picture. Right? He was not free to pretend that her sins never happened. That she never committed crimes. He had to, by law, levy uh, a penalty for the damages. But he saw another means to pay that penalty. And that's what what Jesus did for us. He uh, saw that there was damages against God, that there was a penalty. But he uh, settled the damages himself. So we, although guilty are set free, we are cleared of all charges because the damages have been settled. Uh, So that's the picture of being made right, being declared right before God, right? Everything is settled. And he says that we do this by faith, not by law, okay? Over and over again in this passage, over and over in the book of Romans, 
Paul emphasizes, emphasizes over and over that this is done through faith, not by law. Right? And he's trying to distance himself as far from the law as possible in terms of it being a means of obtaining salvation. He says that God has made a way apart from law, separate from law. Uh, and in this sense, law, uh, of course, Paul probably has in mind, certainly has in mind, the, the law of Moses, uh, the Old Testament commands, uh, 613 laws that the Israelites were supposed to keep. But uh, the word really can go f- much broader than that. And it really has the idea of any human means, any human effort to uh, obtain favor with God, right? So in the passages before, he, he's focusing on the Jews, but he's also kind of reeling in everybody else, the moralists, the religious people, the people who keep their own laws and codes. Right? Uh, he says any human effort falls under the category of law. Anything we try to do of ourselves to make ourselves right with God, to settle the damages on our own, uh, is law. And he says... Uh, the way that God has made is apart from, separate from law. It is through faith alone, right? purely through faith. And faith is simply believing in what God has done for us. Right? And in this passage, it means several things. It means believing in the goodness of God, that it is indeed God's righteousness to save us, that God in his character did what was right uh, and just and fair to give us his salvation. Okay, do we believe that? Do we believe God is that kind of God, that he is good in his nature, that he is just in his character, and that he's made a just and right way to obtain our salvation? It also has the idea of having faith in the effectiveness and ability of Jesus' death as a means to pay our damages against God. We believe it. We, we know that Jesus came from God. We know that he died on the cross. And we know that his death was in order to pay the damages of our sin, right? To settle our account and make us right with God. We have to believe in that. This is real important. And isn't interesting, you know, for many years I, I, I would take unbelievers through the Romans road. And when we got to the end of the Romans road, I would, I would ask this. Would you like to receive Jesus as your Savior, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. Good. Uh, here's the prayer you need to pray. I'm not saying that's wrong or bad, but it is kind of off the mark, right? Because it's neither receiving Jesus as Savior nor praying that saves you, right? It is believing. Okay, what I should have been saying is, do you understand what I just told you? Yeah. Uh, Do you understand that Jesus is the only way of life? Yes. Do you believe it? Yes. You're saved. (laughs) You're in, (laughs) right? It's that simple, right? Uh, It's not a prayer. It's not receiving. It's not asking him in, right? It's simply believing it's either true or it's not true, right? That's at the core of what it means to be saved. Now, I'm not saying praying doesn't have value or, uh, you know, the image of inviting Christ into our life does not have value. Uh, But what must precede that is the simple question, do you believe this is true? Do you believe with all your heart? Do you believe, do you stake your eternal existence on this fact? Right? so that's how we, we, we receive it. We appropriate it simply by believing it's true. Right? Either you believe it's true or, or you don't. And salvation hinges on that simple fact. Right? Um, 
So, so what is this? And we know that is for believers. We know that's how we come to Christ. Uh, if you are a believer today, it's because you are a believer, right? Because you believe it's true. But what about us as Christians? Are there ways in which even as a believer, we can somehow unravel or weaken this truth in our own life? Well, I think there is. And the principle is simply this, that... Uh, we have to live life as though there is truly nothing left to do. Right? For us, do we live as though there really is nothing left to be done on our part? That Christ has so taken care of the damages of our sin that we truly are right with God and it's settled. Right? Or do we often feel like, well, that was pretty good and that probably got about 90% of it, but somehow I think I still need to cover part of it, Right? I think I still need to contribute something to this deal here, right? There must be something I still need to do, right? Uh, some churches teach that what we need to do is get baptized. Uh, the Catholics, you know, they believe that it came through the communion. Uh, for, for most of us, it's probably more subtle than that. Um, for us, it, it may be something more like this. Uh, and this is, how I, this is how I experience it often in my own life, Right? Uh, I know I want to be a good Christian, and good Christians are people who do all the right things, right? And uh, whatever all the right things are. And everybody has their list. Uh, when I go teach in the villages, the tribal people, I always ask them, what do you need to do to be a good Christian? And it's great, the answers you get, right? Go to church, um, you know, give lots of money. That's an important one, apparently. Uh, always have good answers. Well, they have answers anyway. I don't think they're all that good. For me, my list has something like this. You know, I've got to pray and read my Bible and uh, try really hard to be a good witness for Christ, right? So now, I'm not saying you shouldn't pray or read your Bible. That, I think, is a very good thing. But here's the problem. This is how it worked for me. I get up in the morning. I get up extra early, which for me was pure torture, right? Was, was, was the worst thing they could do is, for me is to get up early. But I would do it because... I needed to do something, right? And the more painful it is, the more value it has. That was my thinking. And I would get out, especially when I was first a believer uh, in high school, I would get out my King James Bible, because that was torture for sure. And I would read through, you know, a couple chapters of my King James Bible. I had no clue what it said, you know. But that was beside the point, because that was not part of the drill, right? And then I, I would pray through whatever, right? And, uh, and my thinking was this, okay, God, I did my part. Now today, this is going to be a good day, right? Because you owe me, right? And so I set off on my day, and, and uh, you know, the first day, it worked. It worked well. I had a great day, and I thought, wow, this works, right? I pray, I read my Bible, I do my part, and God blesses me, right? Day two rolls around. I get up, also quite painful, Get out the King James Bible. Read three chapters because it, was, it worked so well yesterday. I'm going to add an extra chapter. I'm going to make it really double blessing today, right? Read three chapters I don't understand a word of. Pray extra long, right? I think, man, today's going to be a super good day. I should play the lottery or something because it's going to be such a good day. And I go out and everything falls apart, right? Nothing works. It's a horrible day. The car breaks, the dog bites me, you know, everything goes wrong. Thank God, you have failed me, right? You have failed me. Well, of course, God did not fail. But when we do that, what we are doing is we are, we are saying, in effect, that 
what God has done for me was not quite enough, right? And God's blessing and goodness in my life is not dependent on what He has done through Christ. It's dependent on how good I can be myself. How much I can measure up to the law and carry out a life that uh, is good enough to meet God's approval, right? And if I measure up, if I do all the right things, if I perform well enough, then God owes me something. Okay, that is that is unraveling the gospel. That is not living by faith. That is not believing that Jesus has done everything necessary. It's believing that Jesus has done some good things, and when I do good things on top of that, it all goes well. There's no value in that. In fact, Paul speaks very harshly against that kind of thinking. Right? Now, of course, uh, and as we go later on in the book of Romans, uh, he is not saying that, that God's salvation means we can go out and sin and do whatever we want. Okay? And we'll talk later about that. Um, but what he's talking about here is appropriating the full and finished work of Christ and making us right before God. If you are right before God... It means God's relationship with you is 100%. His love for you is 100%. His thoughts and affection towards you is 100%. What could you possibly do to make it more? What could you possibly do to add to that? Here's an experiment. And and in fact, I did this. For for a couple of years, I actually did this. When I discovered this truth, I stopped reading my King James Bible. But I stopped reading the Bible altogether. I stopped getting up in the morning early. I stopped praying, right? I stopped it all. And I, and I just, for, for a time, just said, God, I just want to know what it means to rest in the finished work of Christ. Right? Uh, I think a lot of us sometimes need to go back there. And again, I'm not saying you should never read your Bible. It's a good thing. But don't read it if your motive is to gain favor or merit with God. Okay? That's Christian Buddhism, right? You're going to get merit with God. There's no such thing in the gospel. Right? Uh, second thing. <clears throat> so he talks about being justified, being made right. Then in verses 23 and 24, he says this, famous words, For everyone has sinned, and we, have all fall, uh, we all are falling short of the glory of God, and are being justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Um, we, are, we are redeemed, right, through, through the work of Christ. Um, and he starts, starts with his famous words, we all have sinned and we are falling short of his glory. Um, we can talk a lot about sin. Uh, it's interesting, the world has a very light attitude of sin, as Christians, we, we take sin much more seriously. We really understand, should understand, the, the depth and consequences of sin. Uh, but I'm not going to talk about that. Let me skip on to uh, falling short. Uh, there's probably 50 different interpretations of what it means to fall short of God's glory. Uh, some commentators say it means uh, His glory <coughs> uh, could be His image in us. Some people believe it, it's speaking of God's holiness uh, some would say it's his presence with us. Others talk about uh, the future share of his glory in heaven as uh, what is lost when we sin, we, we lose the, the right to heaven. 
others would say it's his standard of law or righteousness that we cannot measure up to. Uh, many, maybe all of those are true and many more. Uh, the idea, though, is that uh, whatever God is uh, and whatever he intended us to be in himself, created in his image, we are falling short of, right? And it doesn't mean we were falling short of it and then we got saved and now we measure up, right? Uh, the truth is, it's a continual battle for us, right? Every day I, I'm reminded of ways in which I fall short of God's glory and things I say and things I think and things I do. Uh, you know, the, the little braces, what would Jesus do? Oftentimes I know Jesus wouldn't have done that. <laughs> Jesus would not have done that. He would not have done that. He would not have said that, right? Uh, often we are reminded we clearly do not measure up. We are falling short. And that's true of us before salvation. It's true of us after salvation. Um, uh, but he says, uh, what's important about this, this, this phrase is that uh, verses 23 um, and 24 are, are parallel thoughts. So grammatically, they're connected. So he says, For all have sinned and are falling short and are, are justified, are being made right through Christ. Right? Uh, and he really is referring back to that there is no distinction that for the Jew as well as the, the Greek, for all, all of us, we all sin. Uh, we all are falling short. And therefore, we all must be justified or made right through faith. So there's not two different ways. The Jews can go through one way and the Gentiles through another. He's really trying to emphasize the salvation is necessary and required by all. By all. Um, <coughs> And again, he talks about being justified. Uh, and here he makes it clear that it's, we, are, we are justified through the blood of Christ. Um, one of the things that's important for us, uh, as he, as he um, spells this out, is that he, he gives us another image, and it's the image of, of redemption. Right? He says we're, we're, we're justified, we're made right through the blood of Christ, uh, through the redemption that is in Christ, the redemption. What is redemption? Well, we all know it means to be purchased, right? Uh, it really has the idea of ransom. And back in, in Jesus' day and before, if, if uh, you went to war and you were captured as a prisoner of war, uh, it, your team, your side could ransom you back by buying you. Okay, They could purchase you. So the other king would bring the prisoners of war. It was a great way to extort money out of people. You just go capture a bunch of people. And, um, um, you know, you say, okay, so we're going to charge to get them back. I think government should do this instead of paying taxes, you know. You just, like, round up a bunch of kids. Say, okay, bring your kids back. You just got to pay. I think it would be very effective. Um, well, maybe not. Some parents may decide, eh, you can keep them. Uh, so that's the idea of ransom, right? It means, and it always involves paying a price to get somebody out of captivity or bondage. Um, we are falling short of God's glory. We all have sinned because sin has captured us, right? We are captured, we are held captive by the power of sin. And so in the context here, the ransom is that through the blood of Christ, through the death of Christ, he has paid the ransom price to set us free. Right? So that we are no longer held captive to sin, even though we still affect, are affected by its power. So the picture is this. 
Um, sin holds us bondage. And later Paul describes this well, the bondage of sin that holds a grip on our life, right? Christ came and he paid the ransom price to set us free from sin as our, as our slave master. But the crazy thing is there is something still appealing to us about sin that makes us want to go back. So even though we've been set free, there's a part of us that constantly wants to go back there, right? And Paul talks later about how we battle, how we overcome that. Um, but the point here is that the ransom price has been paid in full, right? And again, the emphasis is that it's all been paid. There's nothing we need to pay extra or add to it. There's nothing we can add to the price Christ paid to ransom us from sin. So for our own lives, we could apply it this way. Um, in the first, under justification, we said there's nothing left for us to do. Uh, when it comes to the picture of ransom, there's nothing left for us to pay. There's nothing left for us to pay in order to make up the difference. Uh, imagine this. You imagine that it's your anniversary, guys, and uh, you, you remembered that it's your anniversary, which is a good thing. And it was a big, important anniversary, so you went out and you bought like this really huge, ginormous diamond pendant, necklacey thing, beautiful, you know, because you really want to bless your wife. And so you bring home this very expensive, beautiful diamond necklace, and uh, you give it to your wife, and she goes, oh, wow, that's just lovely. That's so beautiful. That must have cost you a fortune. Here, let me give you a 100 bucks to help cover some of the cost. Right? What would you think about your wife, right? It's like, uh, no, it's a gift. <laughs> you, you really don't have to pay. Oh, but, you know, that was a lot for you, and, and so let me at least cover some of the cost, right? Well, it would kind of kill the effect of the gift, wouldn't it? Right? Uh, it, would, it, would take, it would rob it of its value. It's like, no, honey, I, I saved for it. I, I paid for it already, right? Um, well, how easy it is for us to do this with Christ, right? And here's how, again, in my own life, all I can speak is my own experience, but uh, for me it works often like this. Um, I sin, I do things I know are wrong, right? But instead of believing that Christ has paid for it all and daily... Just as I am daily falling short, he is daily justifying through redemption. He is daily paying off my debt. So at the end of the day, he tallies up the bill. Oh man, today was a bad day. You owe a lot today. But I have already paid it, right? I've already paid it. But instead of thanking God and praising him, oftentimes this is what I want to do. I want to beat myself up, right? I want to feel super guilty, I want to punish myself somehow for being such a bad person. Anybody ever done that? It's like, well, you know, Jesus forgave, but I can never feel really good about myself until I do something to fix the problem. Until I beat myself up enough that I punish myself, then I can feel better about it. See, that is not a faith. That is denying the value of his purchase price. It's denying the value of what he's already spent to cover it all. Right? I love in Romans 8.1, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, there is therefore now no condemnation. Right? You cannot condemn yourself. You cannot rightfully before God feel guilty for something that Christ has already paid for. You have been completely set free and ransomed. The full price has been paid. Right? I don't know how you may seek to pay the price, 
Uh, maybe it's by trying to do good deeds, by trying to do good things, uh, by trying to do some penance, right? Okay, that's not of faith. It's not of faith. Lastly, he says this. He says in verses 24 and 25, We are justified by His grace through redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. Right? So we looked at the legal term, the court term of being declared right, made right. We looked at the, the image of a slave market being ransomed. Now actually we are looking, the last term is really actually a religious term. Uh, and it's the one that's hardest for us to understand because most of us from Western cultures don't uh, worship a, a pantheon of gods who are out to get us, right? Uh, but in, in, in Paul's day, and actually in much of part of the world where animism is a part of daily life, there is a sense that the spirits are very fickle, right? And you see this in the animism of Thailand and, and of Asia. Uh, and, and that's the whole point of the spirit houses, right? The spirit houses and the little little idol shrines that are all over the place. Uh, Why are those there? Well, they're there because somehow we've made the spirits angry, and we have to do what? We have to appease them. We have to make things, make peace with the spirits, or they will haunt us. They will send disease. They'll send bad luck, right? I was in Bangkok this last week, and I saw the most bizarre things I've ever seen in my life. I was at this little coffee shop, and I look up, and there's the little, up on the wall, the little idol shelf, right? With the little garlands and the little candles and incense and the, the whole deal. But the idol images were Mary, Jesus, and Joseph. <laughs> Perfect, you know, a Jesus shrine, you know? And I'm guessing they were Catholic or something. I don't know, I don't know what they were, right? But uh, the idea is that I've got to appease Jesus, I've got to appease the spirits, right? And that's, that's the realm or word picture that this last one comes out of, a propitiation. Uh, we need to appease the spirits because we have somehow offended them. Of course, God is not like the spirits. He is much greater and more powerful, and his anger is much more holy and pure. But his anger is, is just as legitimate and real, probably more so, because it is right for him to respond to sin in wrath. And you look through the Old Testament, it was his wrath that caused him to destroy Jerusalem, to send them into exile, to destroy the nations, right? There is a sense in which our sin causes God to be wrathful. Well, God himself has put forth the sacrifice that would be the propitiation. And that was his own son, right? It says God himself put forward, put out there as a propitiation by Jesus' blood uh, the cost of reconciliation, the cost of making peace with God. Amazing that God would do this. In in no other religion do the gods make propitiation. It's always the sinner who has to propitiate, who has to make the peace offering. But our God, in his mercy, in his compassion, uh, has done it for us. He has given the peace offering, and it was his own son. And again, he emphasizes that this is received by faith. Uh, it is by believing that God actually did it that we receive it. <clears throat> so we could summarize this one this way. When it comes to our own daily life, um, there's nothing left for us to sacrifice. 
Okay, there's nothing we can add to Christ's sacrifice. Okay, so there's nothing left for us to do. There's nothing left for us to pay. There's nothing left for us to sacrifice. All right? uh, can we get this turned upside down? Yes, it's very easy. Um, Christians, but in history, you know, Christians love to be martyrs, right? And it got so bad in some places where they had to make laws against getting martyred because Christians wanted to die all the time, right? Well, we don't get martyred anymore, but it's amazing how many modern-day Christians want to sacrifice themselves in service to God, in doing things for God, right, to somehow add to the sacrifice of Christ, right? Uh, that is not living by faith. Uh, and to summarize all of these things, what we're talking about here is there is a, there is a kind of Christianity that is performance-based that says... What God did is not enough. I have to somehow add to it through my service, through my labor, through my sacrifice, through my, my good deeds, through my efforts, through being a good Christian, that I am going to improve my status with God. Now, you may be, if you're really sharp and thinking ahead, you may be thinking, hey, well, wait, hold on, hold the bus. Romans 12.1 says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, right? And that's true. Uh, but you've got to sort out a couple things here. We are to serve. We are to give. We are to love. We are to sacrifice. We are to walk in obedience. But here's the test. Here's the test. Uh, you should always be asking yourself, what do I hope to gain by my service or sacrifice? Okay. What do I hope to gain by my service or sacrifice? If you honestly would have to say, well, I'm hoping God will bless me. I'm hoping God will love me more. I'm hoping, uh, you know, things will work out better for me. I'm hoping I get something out of this deal. Right? If, 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 you, if you would answer it any of those ways, uh, it's the wrong thing. Right? It's the wrong thing. You are adding a work of law to the finished work of Christ. You will get nothing from God based on anything you have done. That's the point Paul's making here. Everything you will get from God, you will get because of his character and his grace. Uh, he talks here, I didn't talk about that, but he talks about the redemption coming as a free gift of God. It's free. It is free. There is nothing you can do to earn it or deserve it or buy it or purchase it. Right? So why do we serve? Well, we serve for one simple reason, to worship God. Right? Uh, Romans 12.1, it is your spiritual act of worship. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, a holy and acceptable unto God as, as, a, as, your, as your pleasing act of worship. Right? The only reason we should ever serve, give, obey, love, do anything ever good, is simply because we are so thankful for what God has given us in full. Right? Um, <clears throat> This is so important for the simple reason. It might seem like semantics. It might seem like, well, what's the big deal? So I'm a good person. So I'm performance-driven. It's just kind of a character flaw. I'm a, drive, I'm a type A personality. It's just who I am. This is why it's so important. Because when you work to gain favor with God, you unravel faith. Right? Our salvation rests on this one thing. Do you believe what God has done is sufficient. Do you believe it is enough? Right? 
You are justified. You are made right by faith alone. By faith alone. We've got to be very careful. Very careful. Uh, we don't add to it a work. And throughout history, this has been the number one problem. The problem with mankind has not been that we've been irreligious or unreligious. It's that we've been overly religious, right? We have been overly anxious to write laws to justify ourselves. Uh, And as Christians, we can so easily fall into this trap. Let's pray. Father, we just stand amazed. Um, And Lord, we never want to get tired of this message or this truth. Uh, Lord, we should never grow weary of hearing these words that we have been made right through Christ's blood, through his sacrifice, um, through the gift, the free gift of grace that you've given to us. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to, uh, to believe it more and more every day and to see those places in our life where we're trying to add to what you have done our own works, our own efforts. And Lord, help us realize that those things are an insult to you and are are moving away from faith. Lord, help us to be instead be strengthened by faith, to believe these things with ever greater confidence, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.